0: Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Women in DevOps podcast. I'm the host, I'm also the founder of Women in DevOps, Lauren Langdale, and we're on a mission to close the DevOps gender gap and inspire the future leaders of the technology world. Join us as we share stories, advocate for empowerment, and explore the latest trends and greatest opportunities in tech with some of the brightest minds in the DevOps engineering space and beyond. In this podcast, I interviewed the fabulous Kelly Moore, Director of Platform Engineering at Slalom Build. Kelly and I spoke about her journey into tech as well as tackling burnout and addressing your inner critic. It was a fabulous conversation. Happy listening. Hi, Kelly. Welcome to the Woman in DevOps podcast. Um, We are very, very excited to have you.
1: Thank you. I'm so excited to be here and really interested to see where our conversation goes. Excellent. So for those listening,
0: we have Kelly Moore. She's the director of platform engineering at Slalom Consulting, and she's one busy woman. I'd love to introduce you, but no one else can introduce themselves better than you can. So Kelly, I'd love if you could give our listeners a quick introduction.
1: Hi, everyone. I'm Kelly Moore. I am, as Lauren said, a director of platform engineering at Fallen Belt. Um, other than that, I'm also a mom and I am heavily into volunteering with our local junior league in our search and rescue group. And yeah, I'm really excited to be here and talk more about my journey in tech. Excellent.
0: So just to break the ice, we like to ask All of our... Okay, a very random question. And Kelly, I would love to know, if you could have dinner with anyone,
1: dead or alive, who would it be and why? Oh, this is a hard one. Um, I'm going to go with Anthony Bourdain because I just love his storytelling and I know the food's going to be good. (laughs) And uh, yeah, I just think it would be fun to go on an adventure somewhere with him. Fair enough. Can I come with you? absolutely
0: (laughs) food and storytelling i'm totally that. um well look kelly one of the reasons we were so excited to have you today is because you've just done so much in your career you know before we hear about all the exciting things you've been doing recently would love to know you know what are your earliest memories of of tech
1: oh gosh i think starting out when we were young we had an atari so i'm a (laughs) 80s kid so and then um Around I think sixth grade or something, I was like really had to have and wanted a Casio calculator watch. It was the coolest thing ever. I would never take it off, and I'd always get in trouble at softball games for wearing it. In middle school, we had to ha- we had four electives to choose from. It was art, shop, home ec, or computers. And I didn't want to do home ec at all, so I decided to take computers. And it really paid off well for me. I love that.
0: Was that was that quite encouraged at home as well? Like when you went back and told your parents, like were they
1: were they like shocked or encouraged by that? Uh not shocked. They just really let me make my own decisions on what I was interested in. Um, personal computing at the time was really geared towards you know young men and things like that. So we didn't even have a computer in the home until I was in high school. So in the ni- late nineties. which we got as a hand-me-down from the doctor that my mom worked for and it was an old Commodore I love that
0: one of my first memories of computer actually was at my grandparents' house and me just thinking what is this? yeah it's crazy to think now it's just it's such a norm isn't it so with all that in mind then what was the motivation and what compelled you to get into the tech space in the first place? you've got your Casio watch you've got your computer (laughs) what
1: happened next? I just really love math for the most part. And I would do the coding challenges in the book for extra credit. And uh, so when I went to college, I didn't really know what I was going to be. I just came in and told the counselors that I love math. And they're like, cool, we'll put you in engineering. And then I found, similar to high school, I do not like chemistry at all. (laughs) So I needed to find something else so that I didn't have to take three quarters of chemistry. So I actually pivoted and I was like, well, okay, I'll be a math teacher. And with that, um, my boyfriend at the time was taking a Visual Basic 6 class. And he was struggling with one of the challenges. And I was like, Oh, let me take a look. And I was like, Oh, this is kind of fun. I'm going to sign up for the class the next quarter. And I took it. And I just loved it, so I changed my major to uh, computer science after that. I love that. And so, what?
0: And so, what's the rest? You know, you know, was the rest a smooth ride? Like, it doesn't sound too sort of like topsy turvy up until now. What did you know? The, the rest of your career look like in regards to it being able to progress from step to step? Back in the
1: early days, there was a lot of ups and downs, like a lot of hoops to jump through. I'm like, I've had many transitions. I, um worked through the recession. I My first kind of big job, well, I got it in college, but after college for years was working for a mortgage bank as their IT person. We all know what happened to the mortgage industry. We were one of the first places to close. There's like chains on the door. Nobody showed up. It wasn't open anymore. We're like, what's going on with our jobs? I was unemployed for eight months then. And I really had to like, I was managing company with, I think we had 10 offices across um, Washington, Oregon, California and then we had our um, president who also lived in France so like supporting her remotely with eight months of unemployment not fi- being able to find a job I found that I had to move backwards to get back into the right. space and I kind of worked at my first real technology company outside of the mortgage industry and started all over again in tech support at the bottom but I was able to make a big impact when I came in because I was very overqualified for the job. I've had a few, pretty much all my transitions are backwards and then huge impact and then get ahead really quickly.
0: And how and how does that make you feel? Like, was that like a good thing? Obviously, you know, being out of work is is never fun. Um, mm. And I'm glad that you found something. But was that, you know, being able to go in with confidence, making impact, you know, knowing what you were doing... Was that a good feeling, or did you feel like you wanted to do more?
1: I mean, I think it was a good feel when I got aligned with a good boss who recognized my potential and I was able to like move up. That was a better feeling. But at first, I was not, and like it was more of like, oh, you're doing all this in tech support, and you're making me look good. I'm not going to keep you there, and I don't want to move you up or things like that. So that was really like dimming to me, to, like, know that I was, like, above my potential, not being paid at my potential, and also, like, feeling like I was getting taken advantage of, for the most part. So that,
0: so you said something there, that was really, really interesting, um, which I'd love, I'd love to explore, which was that when you had that manager that believed in you, and then, you know, helped you get up, obviously, you're a manager now, you're a director now, <laughs> um, leading leading big teams, and... Um of course all the um non-for-profit stuff you also do as well you know how have previous managers impacted your style now and, and was that manager one of them
1: yeah definitely because I think for my style so one of my favorite managers like she would always say we need to do this I knew I was going to do it But the fact that, like, how she positioned it was, like, I felt like we were in a team together, like, tackling all these things. And then for the other manager that I was talking about, like, she knew my potential and she, like, got out of my way and let me, like, run with things and didn't try to micromanage me or anything like that. So I think that that was, like, huge in, you know, my growth and to just be able to, like, do what I know I can do without, like, having to fight. Through, so. yeah,
0: yeah. Because man, managing, I mean, I find managing hard. It's not an easy, an easy task. It's interesting, I think, like how you, how I manage now, how you manage now, is based on so many previous experiences and and learning and taking good bits and and bad bits. Obviously, we are women in DevOps. We're very passionate about advocating for women. Have you felt like, or did you feel like you were able to make an impact amongst? other women whilst you've been acting manager. And when looking back at your previous managers, do you think that's made a difference depending if they were a man or woman, like if you had different experiences there?
1: Yes, definitely. Um I've had a lot of not so great managers and it really like impacted on like how to act. Like I very like show for your one on one on time. Don't skip it. Don't blow off the person. Because I've had that happen before, and I know how it feels, and I know it feels really bad to, like, not feel like you're important. And so I think that's really, like, showing up, you know, with my full heart and empathy and everything to help support people and get them towards their goals and the things that they want to do and the things that interest them. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I I think... Yeah, I've been in the same position. Yeah, managers who are always
0: late to that one-to-one or always cancelling that month in a review. For them, it's such a small thing, but I get the person on the side, like, yeah, it's so important um, to feel empowered. And so, obviously, you mentioned before you love math, you love science. Back in the day, have you been able to transfer any of those previous skills like into a management role? And also, you in particular, and any kind of the skills that you picked up in the world of work, let's call it, through your technology career, all the, the stuff that you do with the kids in junior league and stuff like that, what do transferable
1: skills look like? Yeah, so this is actually really interesting because um, when I was younger and in my early 20s, and I'd be on these development teams with all men, and I was of the only woman And I would always get like the administrative tests on my plate along with like coding. And it used to just frustrate me to no end. And they're like, oh, well, you're really good at it. It just comes naturally to you. I'm like, why can't these guys learn like to do these things too? But in the case of transferable skills, because I was like doing like managing a product and building out user stories and breaking things down for people and stuff. I already knew how to do all these things. And when I got into management and like, leading people and stuff. I wasn't going from just being an engineer and only knowing engineering. Like I had all these other skills that I could easily bring with me. And it was like easy to get into that place where I see a lot of other people who are just technical. They'll go into management and they try to manage by the technical details and not like the human aspect or the other things that need to be done beyond just like one small piece of technology. Mm So all of
0: that in mind, what are your top tips for anyone listening to this, right, who is either wanting to get into management, they are a manager, but they want to improve, or they're a manager and they want to be a director. If you could then like summarize what your most important top tips would
1: be, just to put all of that information together, what what would you say? Look at where you're leading now. There's probably things... On the side that you're doing maybe with your company that you're leading a group or maybe outside of work that you're leading the group and then really just recognize like those things and try to like reframe what you're doing into those transferable skills that we were talking about earlier to say like hey look at this i'm like the way i did this was with junior league i was like i'm out here and i'm you know co-chair on this major fundraiser that we're putting together and leading this team to like get it all kicked off and it was very successful and here's my proof that I can do it like I haven't I haven't had the opportunity inside of work for whatever reason to do that but here's my proof that I can so kelly what is the difference then between
0: managing the people at work who you are paid to manage
1: and the people at junior league who aren't paid to be there is there a difference so oh, it's a group of women. So, um, 21 plus, but motivating people who are not getting paid is like easier because we have a common vision and goal in a way. But then also, like, the accountability factor is a little bit different because there's no like fear of being fired or things like that. So yeah, it depends. It's, it's, it's there's kind of different aspects in between like nonprofit leadership versus like, work leadership but it's all need. I think you all need to be united around a common goal or know where you're going and making sure that you have that story and that you're guiding people along the way to what their impact is because I think people want to contribute and be a part of something bigger than themselves
0: okay so Kelly let's talk about imposter syndrome which is something that I like to talk about a lot um, I know some people are imposter syndrome out, but I think it's important we keep talking about it and that we're raw about it and we're real about it.
1: What does imposter syndrome mean to you? And imposter syndrome's interesting because I have like a couple of ways that I think about it because like the original kind of like nineteen seventy eight imposter phenomenon that it's all kind of based on of, you know, high achieving women feeling that they're fraud and they got to where they were by luck which I think we have to accept that luck is pretty common in any success story. If you even look at, like, Bill Gates, he was lucky that he had access to the University of Washington computer lab. Like, Elon Musk, probably lucky he was born in the family that he had. Like, And I've even had some of my own luck, too. But also, I know that I've, like, worked hard to get to where I was. So I don't really feel like a fraud. (laughs) And since I've always kind of moved backwards to move forward to, I was kind of coming from a position of already been there. So I've been lucky that way. But I really think that there's like two things that play into um, imposter syndrome. And like the first is the environment that you're in. If it's toxic and doesn't support you to learn and grow, then you're going to feel bad about it because you're not going to have the support to do the things that you want to do. And then I think really the second piece of that is just recognizing and getting into a learner mindset. When you start feeling that very uncomfortable feeling, you know that you're growing and then trying to, you know, reframe your mind into saying, okay, I have an opportunity here to grow and improve my skills. And then the other thing that's really helpful for me is to take a step back and say, okay, I know I've solved problems that I haven't solved before. I can do this. I just need to like dive in and do the work. And I can do it scared. That's okay. But I just gotta get started because I think if I just sit here and spin and think about it and think about it, I'm just gonna like continually spiral in negative thoughts. And that's not where I wanna be. I wanna be into that like creator area of breaking down the problem, seeing how I can, you know, tackle it and how i can learn and get it done and then technology is so vast you can't know everything so i also am thinking who do i know who's really good at this that i can go talk to so a lot of times on like consulting calls people will ask me things that i don't know and that's it okay i'll find out for you or i'll find someone who's great at this that can help you so um, um
0: and thank you for sharing um, and would you say then that you know, this is something that you you have dealt with yourself. Like, would you say, I
1: am Kelly and I've experienced imposter syndrome (laughs) for lack of a practice (laughs) sentence. Yeah, the support group of (laughs) (laughs) me. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Like, I think it happens to all of us. And then I'm hearing it more and more from, like, my male colleagues and things, you know, about how they have imposter syndrome. And I just really think like most people if they are hired they deserve to be there they pass the tests right they or they passed the interviews they were there and chosen for a reason so it's like recognizing that in yourself and just reframe and move on and push forward now we have this word
0: you know the sentence, this price imposter syndrome do you think it's easier for you now to recognize those feelings or was there a time before you knew what imposter syndrome was where you struggled with those emotions and those feelings
1: yes yeah definitely especially because a lot of you know my past jobs i was in that toxic environment so i know like i was really really hard on myself where probably shouldn't have been because I was being put in like interesting positions where I wasn't supported and then you know asked to perform like probably quicker or like being beat up I guess I don't know this is a a very question but just you know,
0: whilst we're reminiscing Mm -hmm. on your past what is the worst thing that you think you've ever dealt with as a as a Woman in tech with either like a manager or a, or a colleague or a co-worker,
1: definitely harassment and sexual harassment and things like that. Um, those are probably the worst things that had happened in the past. So, oh, I am sorry that you went through that.
0: The reason I asked that question, right, is because sometimes I feel I'm, you have its conversations and we talk about imposter syndrome, right? And there it's 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 glorified. And it's important to remember that actually we're in these positions. You've got years of experience and you have been through this. You've you've heard it, you've felt it, you know, you've seen it happen. And obviously, you know, we want to make sure that we're moving in the right direction as a technology community, as leaders, um, as communities. How do you think that organizations can help challenge imposter syndrome within them when they fall their employees? But also in the same sentence, I guess, encourage conversations like that. So not just are we trying to be like, okay, cool, let's let's challenge imposter syndrome, but how do we also challenge, you know, folks to speak up, no matter their gender, either right, in the workplace when uncomfortable things happen, not just feeling like you have imposter syndrome, how how can organizations make fundamental change to improve that?
1: Yeah, I think it really, like, setting that psychological safety and having, like, a safe place for you to either speak with your manager or a mentor or even your other colleagues. Um, one thing I like to do when I'm, like, looking at teams is, like, can I put, like, two women on the team? Because I know if someone may be unsure about if one, one might be unsure about something, they'll have someone else to like tap. And I've heard that that's been like very supported to be like, like we want diverse teams. But if you put just one person, you're like, yeah, we got a diverse team. But having like a second person there to support, it really helps in diversity. And it helps like having someone on the side to be like, I don't really understand what's going on. Can you help me or things like that. So like you have that support where you don't have to feel like you have to admit you're a fraud, you can just, you know, check with someone. I like that. You call it like tapping, like being able to like tap on each other. Yeah.
0: Exactly. You know, I like that a lot. And so for for the sort of you know, anyone that's entering tech for the first time or perhaps have had a, a career change, do you think that technology the technology space lends itself more to imposter syndrome because of like the sheer growth and and size and scale and how quickly things can develop and a genuine question compared to other industries like do you think that it happens more so in in, in technology perhaps because of those reasons?
1: Yes I actually do that's like part of my even my talk on that and the growth mindset is like you're not using things that you used three years ago like it's rapidly changing so fast and if I would have been, like, set in stone, like, I am a Ruby developer and that's all I do, like, I probably wouldn't have a job unless I was, like, <laughs> managing out some legacy system right now. So, knowing that, um, being prepared for that, I think, in general, like, you have to know yourself to know, like, am I going to need stability? Or yeah. do I appreciate challenges? Things like that. So, it's important. And I follow you on, on social
0: media, on your um, your Instagram things. You often post some really, really good resources. And I know you're an avid reader and things like that. Have you come across any other good podcasts or books that you'd recommend anyone reading if they are struggling with imposter syndrome?
1: Not imposter syndrome in general, but I did read this book, um, Traumatized by Katie Morton. And she talks about complex PTSD. So it's really about you know, having feelings of PTSD, but it's not one big event, but many little tiny traumas over time. So it could be like unconscious bias in the workplace. It could be like being harassed, but all these build up over time. And I think that's really helped with my journey and my mental health is like having that realization, like there's all these little things that happen along my path where when I, you know, I came to slalom because I heard it was a wonderful place for women to work in a safe place. But when I first got there, I still had carried all of that baggage from the past with me. So then I would sit and I'm like, did that person really mean that that way? Are they coming at me? So it was like, it took a while to like work through those little traumas and trust people again and build my confidence again. So I think that was a really great book for helping me kind of realize how all those things added up to the way that I was like behaving and acting when I first got there and was very entrusting of people.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's interesting. i I know a few people, Slalom obviously a global business, that work at all sorts of different levels and the that feedback actually is consistently the same. It's such a safe place mm-hmm. um to work for women. In a nutshell, what do you think slalom are doing so right that you know the majority, if not all of them, you know, I hope every single engineer feels like it's safe, right? But for you to say that with such confidence, what do you think they're getting right? What could others learn
1: from Slalom? Uh, I think we listen to each other. We're not afraid to, like, say things like, I th- I feel like this, we have, like, this drama triangle so we can, like, register, like, there's a concept of being up a ladder and, like, am I up at a ladder right now and assuming all these things and it's not happening so they gave us kind of like the tools and the train to have a common language. And then also, I just think there's like an authentic caring between people and everybody, yeah. you know, they really want to be there to like do the right thing and do their best and work together. And and I think that even if something weird happened, you could talk to someone and say, and they're like, oh my gosh, I did not mean it that way. But yes, okay. Yeah, I I see. <laughs> so I think that's what they're doing differently. Is just really living in their values and listening and striving to always do better.
0: It's so important. That's really, really great to hear. Because yeah, in twenty twenty three, we're still having so many conversations about unsafe places to work for women, or you know, folks with the best intentions, but pragmatically, it just it just doesn't exist in um in real life. So um, yeah, thank you, thank you for sharing that. So, so we've talked about imposter syndrome um, a lot. Let's talk about burnout. We've touched on mental health a few times in this conversation. What a few years it has been um, for everybody. Um, you more than most because you are trying to juggle 15 different things incredibly well. Um, but, you know, we're we're talking a lot about burnout now. What is your experience with burnout, if any? And particularly as a a manager. As a manager,
1: like, I really have to learn I can't do all the things. Like, I need to delegate. I need to find the right people to do things. Like, I don't have to figure out how to do everything. I just can find someone who can help me do that. My experience, I have been burnt out in the past. I've tried to do a lot. I feel like everything, like the world's resting on my shoulders and I need to really like take a step back because I know that I can't be the best version of myself if I'm just too tangled and involved in everything. And I need to like make sure that I have breaks in my day. I need to go outside every day. I need to move my body. I need to like take care and eat lunch and things like that. And I will get into modes where it's like I gotta get this done so I'm just gonna like work through I'm not gonna eat lunch and things like that and I know that that's where I kind of like spiraled and that's not where I'm my best self and then I'm crankier and snapping at my family and things like that so being able to that self-awareness again like what are your triggers and yeah. how do you plan your day so that you can have a break and rest your mind and do creative thought thinking.
0: It doesn't need to be like a 5k run either, does it? Like a quick walk around the block or even just going outside into your garden. I think it's, it's quick, you know, we can quickly underestimate how important those things are, especially in, yeah, the the sort of like work dynamic where the to do list just does not end ever. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, perfect. So, and so how do you help your team overcome burnout and improve their wellness um, in the tech space obviously you have just talked about those tips just there but how do you make sure that your team team do do that
1: yeah definitely we have um, a how is your work throttle that you check every week and it's like thumbs up thumbs sideways thumbs down and we get a report and we can go in and like double tap like hey what was going on last, last week like Where can we support and help you? And then also just doing our check ins consistently, having those one on ones, knowing kind of what's going on in like their project, their life, what's, you know, contributing to anything. And just, you know, emphasizing that they're in control of their life and things and they can say no and push back and set boundaries. It's very like, it's okay. I like that.
0: I like the thumbs up, thumbs down, sideways. Total. It's cool and it's easy. And I guess you don't have to go into a ton of detail, right? Like if you're having like a mediocre week, you can just feel, like a sideways thumb and all on. I like that. Cool. And and we use the word burnout sometimes. I think a bit a bit loosely. What's your
1: definition of burnout? Oh gosh, you just can't anymore. For me, it's like on my couch. Binge watching Netflix, like can't even do the things. Yeah, no, I think
0: it's... and that everyone, everyone's gonna react differently to burnout as well, right? so, Do you do you speak to your team about like triggers or you know what their sort of like mental health triggers are, so you can recognize burnout in different types of
1: personalities and people? You no, know, but I should start definitely. The um, I know I have like team members who like, when I get on a project, I'm focused on the project and I don't want to focus on other things. I'm like, well, that's really awesome that you know that about yourself already. Like, I wish I could figure that out (laughs) long ago too. It would like save myself a lot of time. So, but yeah, I think that's a good spot to really explore and make sure like we have a really big emphasis on like work-life balance. So just making sure that people are taking the time for that. And taking their vacation, like checking in on those fine things like you have yeah. time, take it.
0: You know what? It's just so refreshing, isn't it? Because even like five to eight years ago, and maybe I was just working for the wrong organ, <laughs> maybe I was just working for the wrong organisations, but we didn't talk about mental health at work. It wasn't as prevalent, it wasn't as important. You know, various industries, booking in PTO and vacation time, I was found quite nerve wracking. It wasn't encouraged where. Now I guess we we understand the importance of a happy, healthy workforce and what that means for production levels. Have you seen that pattern as well?
1: Yeah, I think well, there's like more emphasis on it, and I think really targeted at younger generations. Like, don't be like us or your parents or your parents' parents, like. <laughs> Don't work yourself to death just so that, you know, you get to 60 and you think you can retire and then you're going to have, like, the best life ever. But, like, take time to do it now. Like, take time to enjoy life. You can work and then you can vacation and things like that. But I think, like, I'm a vacation hoarder because, like, it's like dollar (laughs) signs to me. Like, I'm like, oh, well, you know, if I save this and something happens and they'll just get cashed out to me. But that's all based in like past probably trauma of being like going through a recession and things like that. So just making sure that I was set up now to be like, okay, I have that emergency fund. So I don't have to like weirdly hoard my vacation in case something happens someday. So part of that timeline,
0: like PTSD package that you've got in your back. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) No, that does make sense. And so talking about younger generation, then, um, you know, Gen Z in particular, that's a podcast of in it itself, how, you know, how they bring themselves to work. But what are your hopes for the women in technology who are coming into it, um, now?
1: Yeah. Hopefully that we have more. We can always use more women. And I love seeing all the community around women in tech and how working together to you know build each other up and things like that I know in my days it was always the one woman in the room syndrome and there's only people yeah. room but now you see a lot of you know bringing others along with you and things like that so that's what I'm really hopeful there and then um, just that community and support network and there's people sharing their stories. I think is the other big thing because you don't know what other people are going through and how it's going to resonate. And you may not think that your story is important, but it is. And I'm you know that someone else is probably experiencing the same thing as you and would benefit from your wisdom.
0: Yeah, shared knowledge there, and and that's why you know, well, Woman Devils was born um in the first place and. It it is amazing and empowering now to see like how many organizations there are and platforms and, and opportunities to stubble reshare and, and story tell and that's what you've been doing today as well. So thank you. Exactly. <laughs> um so we we started this conversation with Kelly with the Cassier watch. Um who <laughs> was really good at math. <laughs> with everything that you've achieved, and you've achieved so much. During your career, if you could go back and give Kenny with the Casio watch advice,
1: what would that advice to younger Kenny be? Oh gosh, just stay authentic and in line with my own core values and don't let others try to shrink you or, you know, just, you know, do what you do best and keep going forward and don't stay too long in a place that you know is not right i like that and and what does not right feel like would you say oh yeah if it's toxic if you're not growing you know they talk a lot about your body and it expands or contracts based on like the situation or people that you're around like if you're feeling deflated every day then that's yeah. probably not a right place for you and you need to go somewhere where you can wake up every day and be excited for work and really like expand and bring joy to others. Land and expand somewhere it isn't toxic. Yeah. <laughs> so
0: Kelly, we've talked about storytelling and um networking in the past. How have you used your network or storytelling um or referrals to get yourself into a good position either with like an interview or a job or perhaps a client, has that ever
1: happened to you before? I went and I interviewed with a man for his consulting company, and um, I didn't get the job, but I had sent him a thank you card, thanking him for, you know, taking the time to meet with me, and how I really appreciated it, and he was so, like, excited about this handwritten thank you card, that he actually got me a job with one of his clients. So and then was my mentor for many years. And he would never give me the answer to anything. He always like would give me just enough so I can go figure it out on my own. But that really like helped me in my career to know that like, I got to dig in and dive and figure things out. And I can ask for help. And so I mean, that was like huge and propelling. And it was he was like a basketball coach of my cousin. And that's my aunt was like, oh, my niece is in tech, so talk to her. And so it was like a lucky meeting, but it was like, because of the way I was raised with my manners, had like (laughs) impressed him so much that I was able to get like my first job in tech. That's awesome. Kelly, it's been an absolute
0: pleasure getting to know you um, and talking all things burnout and Potter syndrome, management, Casio watches. Thank you so, so much for being part of this podcast. If anyone did want to, to reach out to you and find out a little bit more, how could they do that? And would
1: that be okay? Yeah, you can go to I have a website, Kellymore.com. That's K-E-L-L-I-M-O-H-R. So, and then you can find me on Instagram at Kelly A Moore. So K-E-L-L-I-A-M-O-H-R. And you can also find me on LinkedIn uh, under Kelly Moore excellent well it's been an absolute pleasure kelly
0: and uh yeah best of luck for the next for the next stage in 2023 of an awesome team great thank you so much kelly thank you so much again for your time we loved hearing all of your stories and thank you again for another insightful podcast episode thank you so much for listening please give us a follow if you did enjoy the podcast Your support means the world to us and every like and share helps us strengthen our community. So do remember to visit our website www.womanindevils.com to find out all our latest events including network initiatives, panel discussions, live Q&A with incredible leaders in the tech space. Until next time.